Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. I'm here in the tap room with our co-host Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hey, John. So I guess we're going to call this episode Friends of Charlie because both of these guests were mentioned during our interview with Charlie Mears from Magnanimous Brewing. But also one of ago. your friends? Right. I don't know the pecan farmer, but I do know Josh. I mean, I wish I would have known the pecan farmer growing up. Yes. You guys are going to love this yes. gentleman. Yes. And Josh is a wealth of knowledge. Yes, he to is. To say the least. Yes, he is. So here we go. Our first guest has been brewing beer for nearly 20 years. A competitive home brewer, he joined Cigar City Brewing in Tampa and worked his way up from night brewer to production manager. In 2016, he left the country to take over production at Compañía Cervecera Hércules in Querétaro, Mexico. As he worked to understand the local beer market, his beers began to garner international attention and win awards. Most craft beer lovers consider Hercules to be among the very best breweries in Mexico. He also brews lagers for the company's new location, Lager Bar Hercules in Ciudad Mexico. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Josh Bringle. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on, and it's uh, good to see you, man. It's been, a, it's been a hot minute. Yeah, man, great to be on, and, and it has been a minute. I'm uh, hoping to be back in Florida soon to see you guys and, and visit it's uh it's where i'm from so Absolutely. love going back just uh hard to make it down to miami yeah i know <laughs> down all the way to the bottom <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so where did you grow up at josh so I grew up in tampa um lived there till i was about 12 uh moved to orlando lived in the suburbs of orlando till yeah i was in my mid-20s and, and moved back to tampa to go work at getting ahead here but work at cigar city in tampa at that time what what was your back back in the day what was your first exposure to craft beer back then oh man like i would say just going back in time um i'm not gonna say i was underage but you know, <laughs> no, maybe, don't worry maybe, uh, i mean you're in mexico right now so you're not incriminating yeah. yourself you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're fine. i'm on i'm on the lamb right now <laughs> exactly. also i think the statute of limitations is it's over gone. for it's that all, so go over. ahead so you're fine so the, they're not looking for me anymore exactly. um basically no it, it was uh hanging out with friends uh and and kind of like the punk rock scene in, in in orlando in high school and in in that area like and just like I don't know, like all the group we were with, like they were just kind of fascinated by some of the British Isles beers. Like at the time it was like, and this would have been like uh 2002 or something like that. Yep. Uh, but like Guinness, Newcastle, Old Speckled Hen, um, Boddington's, like those types of beers and finding out that there's like, there's other flavors out there. I think that was super eye opening. Obviously the options in Florida at that time, as you guys know, were pretty limited. You know, it wasn't like you could just, uh go out and find like a ton of different beers so like no the import thing was a was definitely big at that time so yep. i think that hit me and then uh i had a friend like around that same time maybe a year year later when i turned like 18 or so uh he was going in the navy and he had a mr beer kit he had never used so i'm like 18 years old and he's like just shows up my house he's like hey i never use this thing do you want to do you want to take it on <laughs> and um <laughs> made made some pretty horrific stuff but I you know that. learned a lot really fast you know just got further into it you know you know how it is you just oh, get yeah. sucked in and, yeah man and, so you're telling me that kind of like i did you started with the mr beer kit and then kind of went head you know head deep in like first head first into this whole thing kind of yeah i mean i was pretty young i was 18 19 and you know you got a lot of thirsty friends at that age you know that are yep. can't you know, maybe buy beer legally and, and, you know, you got a garage at your parents' house or whatever. So you're like, okay, let's do this. So the quality wasn't there, but little by little, I think just the literature and then obviously getting involved with the homebrew clubs, like the central Florida homebrews at the time. And yeah, I would just taste beer that was way better than mine from other people. 
that were much older than me, I would say, man, I got to figure this out. So eventually got into all grain brewing and, um, started messing around with different techniques. I was kind of like, I didn't want to jump in and just start doing like conceptual or culinary based beers. I wanted to kind of just keep it simple, learn the basics, you know, try to figure out like what, what makes a Munich Hellas taste like a Munich Hellas, what makes like a Bavarian or a country Hellas taste like that, you know? So right. traveling was involved too, trying to go around the world, try all these beers fresh and then like try to replicate them. You know, that was super important for me. That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, as you like, as you hone your skills as the brewer, I mean, you really got into competitive brewing, not only like yeah. entering your, your beers into competitions, but you actually even organized competitions what what did you like about the the competing side of things and and why is it beneficial to a brewer to compete do you think that's a crazy question because like we tip, we don't really compete here anymore at right. yeah, i think no. i just i burned myself out on that yeah. but um in a positive way i think it forced me because i was pretty content at times with the beer i was making and even in my early like pro brewing jobs like i was pretty content with the way things were going, but you mean even with Wayne Wambles? That, what's that? <laughs> even with Wayne Wambles? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even with Wayne. Yes. <laughs> but I think I think like it gave me a little bit of like uh, that drive, right. and it forced me to have to like just wake up early because I was I had my day job at the time when I was homebrewing still, and like wake up early, get it done, try to like make the best beer I could with like because I didn't have a consumer really other than like friends and family. So it was like with like someone maybe objectively trying it and maybe able to trash me. So like, I'm like, well, I gotta, I gotta step up my game. I gotta make the best beer I possibly can. And you know, the competitions are obviously super subjective, but it definitely gave me like that platform to be like, okay, if we're going to spend eight hours today doing this, we're going to do it a hundred percent. Like not going to mess around in the middle. Nice. What year did you start at cigar city? I think it was 2011, okay. sometime early 2011. Right, two years after they opened in 2009. So, I mean, yeah. like actually, you know, your name came up a few weeks ago because I interviewed Charlie Mears. And, oh, cool. <laughs> and we were talking uh, Cigar City alumni. In your six years at Cigar City, I mean, you basically rose from night brewer to lead brewer to, you know, production manager. And I think when I was there in 2013 for that year, you were actually the lead brewer on the 30-barrel side. Um, can you describe what those years meant to your development as a brewer and, and what do you, what did you <laughs> open into question? What did you learn from cigar city? <laughs> oh man. I, I learned, learned so many, so many things. Cause my prior experience was only like home brewing and some small like brew pub, right. uh, brewing. So obviously not fast paced and, and kind of like you let the beer decide and going from that to like. Cigar City, um, when I started there, I think we were doing somewhere around 10,000 barrels a year. Um, yes, so yeah. pretty small. When I left, we were doing just under 100,000 a year, I think. So like yeah. pretty significant growth. So you can imagine that if if you're a brewer and your career is basically starting with a small amount of production, obviously we're in those high growth years. So you're ending your career or you're ending that job with like tenfold growth. Yeah. You learn something there. And, and I think... You know, we, we were growing at such hyper speed, doing so many things right, making some mistakes here and there, just like everyone else. And I think, so I basically was able to like compact like a, maybe like a, a 20 year or 25 year journey, normal growth span. Right. Yeah. Learning, learning experience into like six years, which was just crazy. I mean, it was like, it just like uh sensory overload every day. So yeah. it, it was, uh, it, it, it was great. I think I, I, I walked away from there, you know, just it's kind of like just going to war because every day was, was, um, was such a battle in a good way. You know, you're, you're picking up new tools every day and you're coming back. And when you go do other stuff, you're kind of like, well, I've been to war before I've, I've seen that. And and I, I kind of know, or I know who to ask. I, I've met so many, made so many connections now in the industry that I can like, I can hit up this guy or this girl or whoever and and ask that question. So it's, it's great. I definitely attribute a lot of my growth into opening my own business being under you because you kind of ran us all and i went from i mean a f- kind of a fast growth of just you know cleaning kegs doing cellar work and helping on the packaging to then assistant brewing to then taking over shifts on the 15 barrel side all kind of under your watch and 
you were uh, you know a lead stem for that in my growth as well. So I you know I always am very thankful for the time I spend under working under you, man, because it definitely helped propel me to where I'm at now. So it's all my fault. Yes, yes, it is. It's actually yeah, it's <laughs> no, all your fault. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you make amazing beer, and and you you are in your own stratosphere also. When when you came to Cigar City, even you you were, you were just blowing people's minds. So that was that was pretty crazy to put. You really put Florida on the map in a different way than Cigar City did. So I think it was it was a great great experience. I mean, everybody, you, you think about those times and I've heard you interview other people about those times. And it's just like, it's, it was such a crazy time in, in our world, like just to be there. If you think about the talent that was at that brewery within that time period, uh, Tim Ogden, yourself, Doug Dozark, uh, Dustin Stang, myself, uh, I mean the list of brewers that came from there is just crazy it was like an all-star team you know what i mean it, was, it, it felt that way and you had i mean it was a great reason to have to keep your keep yourself on your a game all the time yes. because i think um if you were doing something wrong someone was going to call you out on it yep. and yep. uh i think if you look at the list of florida breweries i mean you're still in florida so you see this like everyone that has a florida brewery has kind of either worked at cigar city or was trained by someone that worked there maybe yep. so like yep. it was kind of like I don't know, the, the University of, of Craft Brewing in, in, in Florida, if, you, if, if there was one, you know. Absolutely. So 2000, 2016 comes along. Why did you move to Mexico? So I, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. Uh, she worked for Constellation Brands for Corona Modelo. Right. Um, worked in Mexico City. She's from Mexico City. Uh, we met on a trip in Banff in Canada, basically like cause we were buying malt from the same malt supplier yes. from Canada malting at the time yep. we, uh, we were filling silos. So I thought I was like a big deal for Canada malting. And I, I meet um, this girl Abril on this trip and I'm wondering why the CEO of Canada malting and everyone has just hovered around her the entire time. I find out like, yeah, she uses like the amount of malt we use in a year in like one hour. <laughs> That's what she buys for, for, for constellation. Right. So, so it was like, um, it was great meeting her and meeting someone from the, I love talking to, to people that are involved in, in macro brewing or industrial brewing. Cause right. it's just so different. And I love hearing their perspective. So we hit it off and, and, you know, I was making trips to Mexico city. I'd never been there. Um, I'd only been to like touristy areas of Mexico. Right. Now I'm, now I'm going like, uh, Mexico city. I'm getting to see the real Mexico in a way. Wow. And she's coming to Florida and we're, yeah, we're dating. And then, uh, turns out we, you know, she calls me up one day, uh, turns out, you know, we're going to have a girl <laughs> we're nice. pregnant. Nice. Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out, this is 2015 still, but right. we're trying to figure out like, or it's early 2016. We're trying to figure out what's next, how it's all going to work. And, you know, it's like, well, should I go to Florida or, or what? And I was like, no, I think I'm ready to, to move on and, and, and go there. I think uh, I was ready for a change. I had a job offer to go to Vietnam at the time wow. um, to work at Pastor Street wow. Brewing in Vietnam. Yeah, I remember that. And I, yep. Yeah, yeah, and I I, uh, I had a couple other things going on in the in the in, in the U.S. too that I was looking at doing, and like it wasn't that I didn't want to work at Cigar City anymore. It was just kind of like being in Florida. I was kind of like tired of the weather, like just hot all the time. Yep. And, and yes. Wanted to wanted to see how I do in somewhere else. Like That's like awesome. maybe maybe I'm just got lucky here at Cigar City. So and I I know I did, but um, can my talent be used anywhere else, or am I just kind of like stuck here? Like, um, so it was a great opportunity, and uh, uh, obviously you know we got married soon after I moved. Um, my daughter was born in September 2016, so I was looking for a job. Um, it was kind of tough in Mexico, and and. Yeah, eventually landed up here in Hercules. The the owner here is one of the few people that got back to me. It's still such a small scene here, and and, and I think like um, the budget is smaller. Uh, the the taxes are higher. You pay fifty percent tax on beer here Whoa. for as a producer. So wow. like, there's not there's just not a ton of um, uh, it's not it's not as a uh, um, hyperactive as as the U.S. market. Let's right. say right. So finding a job was a little tougher, but eventually you got a call. It's two hours away from where I was living, so I had to commute, but we made it work. Nice, man. Nice. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can understand making the change because I remember the days being at Cigar City on the 15-barrel side before they obviously added uh, air conditioning. 
you know, yeah. and having to change clothes like three times a day. <laughs> it was brutal. It, you know, so being in that sweat box, but I, that's awesome. So, I mean, how, how did you go about finding Compania Cerveza Hercules anyways? Like, were you already familiar with them before you moved there? No, I know. And, and I don't think they were that well known. They were still, um, they were only brewing like once a week. They had a 15 barrel system. I came out here, they were just opening their, um, their beer garden slash tasting room. So, and, and they had stopped distributing. They basically had like bottles exploding when I came on, you know, I came on first as a consultant. So they had like huge kind of like infection issues, oxidation issues, stuff like that. So like, um, the beer had a long way to go, I think, but very passionate people. I saw that and I saw it. I mean, going back, I, I majored in anthropology, uh, in, in college. So when I got to a place like this, it's like, uh, 200 year old textile plant with pre-Hispanic roots, like, wow. and it, it ha- just has hundreds and hundreds of, I mean, there's structures here from the 1500s on right. site. So it's like, I, I saw this stuff and I was like, it kind of like tweaked that part of my brain too. And I knew it wasn't going to be convenient living in one city and commuting to another, but I was like, okay, I can marry like two passions of mine maybe, and have like the beer thing and maybe like, uh, the historical slash anthropological thing going on at the same time. And, uh, yeah, I, I commuted for about two years. Um, you know, obviously, uh, we had a lot of work to do on the beer program. Um, about five years ago, I moved here, um, uh, to Kedetaro. So it's a great town. It's called a town, even though it has 3 million people here. Holy like, crap. uh, well, compared to Mexico city, right, of course, it, it yeah. 30 million, right. Of you course, know, it's, yeah it's still, it's still a big city. We have our own airport here. It's, it's great. You know, weather's awesome. Uh, the people are nice. The food's great. I mean, got it all. So, uh, Querétaro, like where is it in relatively relativity in in Mexico Mm -hmm. and kind of like, what's the vibe there? So it's, it's on the border of what you would call like the Northern Mexican States where you think of like ranchero music and you think of like, uh, Monterey and you think of really good steaks and all that stuff. So like, it's not that far North. It's like two hours North of Mexico city. So it is kind of like, uh, a border area between two cultures, like the central Mexican and the North Mexican, which are, I mean, very different culturally, very different as far as culinary aspects go. Right. So and it is kind of like reminiscent of Florida to me in a way, because, um, it is like full of expats. It's full of like, uh, Asians and, and, and Europeans. Uh, and also it's kind of like a melting pot of all Mexico because it's one of the fastest growing cities here just because of the weather. Mexico city has a ton of earthquakes. Yes. Obviously if, if you see the news, you know, you, you see that there's a pretty big earthquake every year or two. Um, so a lot of people from Mexico city, flock here because it's over the fault line. There's not really any earthquakes. It's kind of the same weather and you're close enough to go visit your relatives in Mexico city. So it's a really cool vibe. I would say the craft beer and culinary scene is, is a little behind other parts of the country, but that comes with growth, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what was uh, Hercules brewing when you got there? And like, how, how do you think you have changed the beer program since you started? Well, for better or for worse, like, <laughs> uh, I'd say it, it initially, you know, I, I don't know. I think if you just think of it like uh, a switchboard or something, if you right. come in with some experience to a place like this, you know, obviously uh, tons of passionate, there's a lot of passionate people here in the brewery and they, they, they helped. Uh, they also helped move things along, but I think there was like uh, some really easy levers to turn when I first got here. And then there's still some levers that we're still trying to turn years later, just trying to make the beer as perfect as we can. Um, so yeah, I think we, we reimagined some of the recipes that they really wanted to keep. We, uh, I didn't know what the Mexican drinker liked to drink. I didn't really understand the palate when I got here. So the first thing I did was I went back as a, like a homebrew kind of brain and I just started making tons of different styles. Like we were making at one point, a hundred different unique styles a year right. and on tap at the tasting room. Right. And uh, we we're just seeing like what was selling, what, what people like to drink here. So we learned a lot about that in a short amount of time and kind of like we're able to narrow our list down year by year. Now I think we're down to like maybe 50 distinct beers a year, wow. but so we, we're, we're, we've turned into a kind of like a lager focused brewery. 
you know, we love augers. We love Bavarian style augers. We love uh, Bohemian and Czech style augers. Um, we also mess around with some other stuff, but we make, we love cask beer. We do I, everything we try to do. We try to do a hundred percent. So for making lager beer, Bavarian style lager beer, we're doing it like just the same way Narcisse or like Kunza would do it right. in, in Bavaria back in the day. Nice. And when we do cask, cask beer, we're trying to do the same thing. Like we try to do real ale um, and condition it properly. We have a pretty big cask program. And we also have a spontaneous beer program that, um, you know, Mexican Lambic, if you want to call I know you're not allowed to say Lambic, but uh, <laughs> you know, Mex, Mex, like Mexican Spong beer. Right. Yeah, exactly. Is that, is that what the barrels are behind you? Yeah. Yeah. So we're in the, we're in the barrel room right now and nice. there's, there's, um, more, more or less we have 200 wooden barrels. So we do have a clean barrel program with like spirit barrels, mezcal barrels, you know, oh, bourbon damn. barrels, what have yeah. you. Okay. And then we have, um, this wild beer program too, which is just, it was an entire experiment when I first got here. I think I, I wanted to see a cool ship cause I knew how cold it got here. I knew, I thought we could do it and it's turned out, you know, pretty good. We're learning more each year about it, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been great, but we try to, we don't, you know, a departure from cigar city and my part might be that we do a little bit less of these culinary influenced beers right? and, uh, these, these big sweet stouts and stuff like that. Right. We still do some of that stuff, but the idea is like, yeah, these classic styles and, and trying to do them with our own touch. Like we make our own, uh, sour good, like, uh, lactic, organic lactic acid that we make like from wort and we use Ooh. that in all of our lagers we wow. actually use in all of our beers so wow. kind of like awesome. kind of like you used to do like a like a kettle sour yeah but we we use an isolated strain that's made just for sour good in, in in bavaria and we use that to sour and acidify all of our wort um, wow. through the entire process wow dude that's awesome so uh, so you actually have so you're using actually you have a cool ship and you're actually using the local flora Mm-hmm. to do your yeah. own spot beer so it actually it's been very receptive in that area like i mean as, yeah, as far I mean, as like the the microflora that you have there is it actually works yeah i mean when i first got here we were doing some like kettle sours and stuff and people i think some people found them too sharp or too uh too assertive in some way and i think the spawn beers and the blending program also gives you the chance to kind of like blend it the way you want and and make the acidity the way you want kind of right. and that's that's I think the, the people have been really receptive. I can't tell you that the beer flies off the shelf, right, right, but right. it's also like a higher, higher price point um, product. So right. it, it, it is like a little bit more difficult of a sell, but the beer is moving phenomenally more fast than I thought it would have, you nice. know, five or six years ago. Nice. What, what kind of brewing setup do you guys have now? So we have a, just a, a 20 barrel Crivella system. It's 15, but you can net 20 off the, uh, send them to the fermenter. Nice. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a combi mash louder and a combi kettle whirlpool, kind of like the 15 barrel at cigar city. Yep. Um, we just, we're expecting, uh, next month our Casper Schultz system to arrive. So we're doing a full on brewery expansion. Ooh. Um, we're Ooh. in the middle of that right now. Nice. Um, nice. but so right now, right now I can't say, um, we love our brew house. We say, we could say we, it's a, it's a good car and it's gotten us this far, but we're ready to, to make a switch. Nice. So actually, uh, some notes I do have, though, is that uh, some of the culinary beers that you have made, you, you've actually make, made a Mexican porter with black corn mm-hmm. and a hibiscus yeah. beer. I mean, were, yeah. were, do you think those are really inspired by all the local ingredients? Uh, I, th- I think so a little. Uh, I mean, we're in Mexico is depending on who you ask the birthplace of corn, you know, there's 10,000 corn varieties here. So we have a cereal cooker. We try to, um, we try to utilize as much local ingredients as much as we can, unless we're brewing like a classic Hellas or Fest beer or something. We're obviously bringing in malt from Germany, but, um, yeah, I would, I I would say that, you know, I thought like a pre-prohibition Porter in that case, like the one you're talking about, um, Mazorca Sonica it's called. And I thought like, well, this is a great way to showcase some different corn varieties that maybe people haven't tried before. Because obviously in the U.S., we're just used to like regular, just yellow corn flakes, like yep. pre-gelatinized corn. Yep. And uh, for us, it was like important to, to start embracing, um, yeah, everything that's around us. So I also wanted something for the local people, like if they won't drink like a pale or light lager from us, like, right. like how will this work? You know, cause this kind of does taste like, you know, regular agua fresca, 
with with hibiscus. So nice. like, and it's 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 gone really well. It has a lot of fans because it really does. The amount of uh, hibiscus in there really. I mean, I hate to say it, it kind of doesn't taste like a beer. It kind of tastes like an <laughs> RTD. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad thing, though. That's not a bad thing. I mean, you're you're really going after your drinkers there, you know, and kind of tailoring towards that. So, I mean, I think, yeah. I think you touched on this giant beer garden you have, but you also just opened a new lager bar in Mexico City. Uh-huh. What is What is that about? So, yeah, I think it was just kind of like um, – you know, our mentality here is that we, we want to finish. We don't want to just get it into the bright tank or get it into the package and forget about it. We really want to carry the beer through all the way to the consumer as best we can with proper glassware, with, uh, yeah, best practices behind the bar as well. And, and some really nice taps that we buy from Czech Republic. Um, Ooh, yeah. So yes. we do We do our best to kind of like steward all that the whole way through because, you know, there's plenty. We do distro, distro beer. And we don't always have a handle on that. But when we can have a handle on it, we, we prefer to. Nice. So this was an idea just to solidify our passion towards Bavarian and Czech lagers. And, and you go in there and it's, yeah, it's like going to like a European beer cafe where you can uh, sit down, enjoy. It's, it's definitely not like a, a bar or a tavern setting. It's a little more high class. Right. Um, but yeah, it's in Condesa in Mexico City. So one of the fastest or hottest neighborhoods in Mexico right now. Nice. And then we also have um, a new bar in San Miguel de Allende. We have a, uh, another bar here, bar restaurant here in Queretaro, in, in, in downtown Queretaro. And we have um, one more that we're opening here in Queretaro also, which is more like a sports bar. Uh, uh, everyone loves, loves football and soccer here. So nice. like uh, something a little more towards that. Going to tailor that. So you, yeah. you actually touched on it. So where do you guys distro to? So we don't do that much, but you know, it's a, it is a lot in a, in a small footprint. It's a, we send beer to Mexico city. We distro here in Queretaro. Um, we send a little bit to Florida right now, just cause we have a deal worked out with Disney for the Mexican pavilion at Epcot. Okay. Um, nice. So we're sending, sending beer, uh, that way. And then we, we do send a little bit to the North to Monterey, Mexico to uh, a little bit to Tijuana. Um, but yeah, it, because we're, probably the only cold chain brewery in Mexico uh-huh. um, that only will only send our beer cold chain. You know, uh, if we find a retailer, it's not uh, taking care of our beer. We take it out. You know uh-huh. um, we, we keep the the door pretty shut. So it's, it's, it's usually like you have to prove that, you know, you are going to do right by our beer and, 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 and want to work with us. Obviously we pay for everything. We pay for all the cold, cold transport and, wow. and everything, okay. but it gets, it gets expensive. You know, when we, you know, Mexico is a, is a pretty big country. So yes, like we is. have bars reach out to us from Cancun or from Tulum or something. And it's like, well, it, it doesn't make much, make much sense to, to send a trailer down there, cold, a cold trailer, you know, just, just for one pallet of beer. So like, right. I think, I think like you've talked about with other guests, you know, we're moving more towards the tight house philosophy, you know, what just keeps setting up these, tied houses in other yep. cities yep. Um, in these restaurants slash bars right. and, and try to bring people in that way with really fresh beer that is well curated. We can tell the story. Um, we can kind of control that narrative and, and make sure that the beer is also like, yeah, super fresh. Nice. Nice, man. That's awesome. Well, Josh, I want to say thank you very much for joining us today, man. It's uh, been awesome catching up with you, man. And just want to say thank you for, for everything. You know, I wish you much success heading forward and uh, keep killing it down there, man. No, I really appreciate it, guys. And, and great seeing you and great, great talking. I hope we can do it over a beer next time. Absolutely. Um, if, if you guys are interested, we, uh, we just opened our hotel down here. Uh-oh. You can see it. You can see some pretty cool reels on our um, on our Instagram. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a boutique hotel. It's utilizing the same architecture as we had before. Like, uh, so they didn't really change anything. They just kind of restored it. Nice. Beautiful place. You guys could be our guests down here. We'd love to have you. So oh, awesome. Hey, let's uh, brew a collab. <laughs> yeah, we can. I mean, let's do it, man. Let's do it, brother. <laughs> All right. You're listening to the beer hour with Jonathan Wakefield conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is a second-generation pecan farmer from the southeastern United States. His business, Sheffield Pecan Company, grows what many of his customers agree is the Mercedes-Benz of pecans. 
Over his 50-plus years in pecan production, he's had to pivot more than a few times to keep the business prosperous. What he's learned along the way could fill a business school library. Like many in agribusiness, his success or failure is a condition of many factors from the weather to the business markets to the price of the dollar. He's here to lay on you some of his keeps to adaptability in business in his own unique way. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Ken Sheffield. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. Enjoyed being, enjoyed being on the broadcast. Thank you very much. So we had talked about this, but the story of your business really begins in 1900 when the grandfather, who was he and, and how did he start the family pecan business? He was a South Georgia farmer and he came over into Florida, Jefferson County in 1900 and bought about 1500 acres of land, put in pecan grove. And he was a big farmer, he liked with cattle and hogs and all that stuff. And he did that through the depression all the way up. He was a, a buyer and seller of pecans, what we call an accumulator. And he died in 1956 and his farm got sold and divided among the heirs. And he just left a small pecan orchard there, which I continued to uh, take care of and make pecans. But in 1973, I, I, reinvented the Sheffield Pecan Company and, you know, started leasing pecan groves and buying equipment and really, you know, creating a business. How many different varieties of pecans are there out there? There's 2,000 varieties. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. All right. All right. That's a lot. The universities in the Southeast and the Southwest are constantly developing new cultivars right they're trying to find the better qualities or characteristics and they keep coming up with new a lot of times a variety is just a number not even a name where do y'all like who buys your pecans pecans and like i mean are they shipped around the world like who's the majority buying your pecans the majority of pecans are sold into the shelling industry they're about 15 or 20 big shelling companies okay. in Valdosta, Georgia. It's called South Georgia in Florence, South Carolina. It's called young pecan company in Albany, Georgia It's called Tracy lucky there. Most of the pecans are sold to the big shelling plants, right? And they, you know, they process them and then they sell to the people like Nabisco and all the big bakeries. And in the last 20 years that we've developed, quite an export market and a lot of pecans now are being exported to China and, and uh, Israel and a lot of places. Really? Uh, wow. A lot of the European countries, they found out the health value of nuts. Uh, I'll slip this in really quick. Talking about the health value of nuts. I've got some little capsules of information that you'll find interesting. All right. They have the highest antioxidant content of any nut. They contain more than 19 vitamins. Pecans also play a role in lowering cholesterol. From all that I'm hearing, it's definitely like we need to get on the train here with, with pecans and, and, and really realize how good they are for us. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to say is you could definitely present a business masterclass on adaptability. I, I'm going to kind of go through a few different challenges that you have been through where you were presented with and how you dealt with them. So, the first one we got is in September of 1984, you traveled to Europe to promote pecan exports with a trade group that you were a part of. What happened over there, and, and what did you learn? We met with great response, but the problem was the dollar not only was the currency of the world, but it was very strong. Right. The exchange rate. See, our main business in the United States in the wintertime is Canadians and, you know, people that come over. But the exchange rate in Europe at that time, the dollar was almost as strong as the Britain, the sterling pound. Mm. So the people said, oh, we'd love to import them, but they we'd have to sell them for $30 a pound, you know, okay. because of the, you know, the currency situation, which none of us has any control over. Right. But we, we met with a great response and the people wanted us to ship them. But it was that we were cost prohibitive. Now that the dollar is weak, you know, it, it's it's a lot. The Canadians come in and their money is more valuable than ours, and they get more dollars right. than their exchange. But back then in the eighties, 
you know, it took them a dollar and a half to get a dollar of our currency. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, their money was eroded. The value of their money was eroded. Their purchasing power right. was not as strong. So, now it's an inverse of that. Right, right. And I know, you know, and then another one was at one point you were a major supplier for Florida farm stores seemingly overnight. Like your revenue went from millions to thousands. What happened and how did you make it through that? Well, it's called adaptability and tough backbone. Yep. Uh, we were married to the Florida gift fruit shippers uh, for several years. And a pound of my beautiful pecans went in every deluxe pack. And they went out by the hundreds of thousands. Right. Well, when circumstances change, two things happen. People like Publix, you know, grocery stores took away the 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 thrill of going to, out to the orange grove and going into a shop and shipping your freezing friends in north, right. you know, fresh citrus and fresh jams and jellies and Florida trinkets. And of course, a pound of those beautiful Sheffield pecans. Of course. So that kind of weakened it. And the, and the final death knell was in 2008, Florida each year had millions of snowbirds from right. the north and and they they came down here and they had condos up and down the west coast and the east coast these are our my customers right. you know they're buying hundreds of thousands of thousands tens of thousands of dollars we had the we had the economic recession in 2008 most of them gave up their condos wow and and most of them haven't come back a lot of people that used to come to the markets to buy from me now order from me, you know, through the internet or, or write me a letter or call me or whatever. But there, it's been a tremendous transition. Now, Florida is still a very strong economy. We have this second largest population and we're growing every day by 1,300 people. So we have a tremendous market still, but nothing like it used to be. The perimeters change. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It, the whole it's just a different model now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So to the point, in fact, what you had brought up, what you just said is like, you actually launched your own website in 1992, you, where you like believed to be the first in your agribusiness in that line. How, how did that come to be that you opened this website? And did you foresee what a game changer that would be for the entire business world back then? I did. It, you know, there was very little knowledge of what the internet was or what the potential of it was. But at the time, my son, my oldest son was the head of Scree at Florida state university Scree being super computations research Institute. Oh, wow. His best friend, Jeff Bauer was head of the computer science department at Florida state. And those two said, dad, we're going to, we're going to make a millionaire out of you. We're going to create you a website. And you're going to be the leader in internet, you know, in, in selling your products over the internet. And that's when they created my site, the, the, as soon as I got it done, I sold Governor Childs. Lawton Childs was the governor of the yep. state of Florida. Yep. And I walked in Lawton. Yep. And we sold him a bag of pecans over the internet. It was a little bit primitive. People didn't understand it. We took it to the Florida gift fruit shippers, and they were orange grove farmers. Yep. And they thought, well, what are you talking about? How does this thing work? <laughs> and we said, well, here's how it works. You know, you, we create a website for you, a web presence, and, and have an interface, and you have a shopping cart. People in places that you've never heard of, like Tukey Tukey Iowa or Pocatello, New Mexico, or wow. ZZ, Idaho, you know, right. these people can order from you that you would never know anything about them. It just creates, everybody's connected in the whole world. Yep, no, absolutely. You know, so we were kind of a pioneer in the internet. We were the first agribusiness on the internet, and I had a monopoly for about a year. If you typed in, it was very primitive back then. You www forward slash forward slash blah blah. Right. All that's gone. But if you typed in any keyword like candy, nut, pie, gift, whatever, I came up. Wow! So I for a year, man, I was the the big you know, the big fish in the little pond. Yep. And of course. 
places, people like Yahoo and different things, you know, they, they don't let you hang around too long. No, no, I got you. I you know, they you. flick you off like a fly, you know, after a little <laughs> while. But uh, I was the king daddy for about a year. That's awesome. That is awesome. So actually, but we, it was, go ahead. It was based on, you know, my, my son and his best friend being in the, you know, the technological field, right. you know. Having that foresight because they were working in yeah. the field. They yeah. said, Daddy, you, this, you go all over the world. You get orders from everywhere. That's amazing. That is amazing. So we actually first learned about you when we interviewed Charlie Mears from Magnanimous Brewing a few weeks ago. Obviously, Charlie sources pecans from, from you know, Sheffield Pecan Company. Who would you say are majority of your customers nowadays? Oh, a lot of, of small businesses. Yeah. You know, like I live near Tallahassee, Florida, the capital, uh, you know, the Florida capital. Yeah. Well, there are multiple universities, multiple hospitals. The You know, the state government is there. And so we have companies like Tasty Pasty Bakery, Star Meats, Rebel Meats, Wow. Southern Seafoods Community Co-op, which is a, a, a really fancy uh, health food place. Yep. used to be New Leaf Market, and now it's Community Co-op, and they buy from me. Oh, there's a company called Esposito, which is a large business in Tallahassee. I have about 50 customers in Tallahassee. Wow. And But, I, but over the year, I mean, I ship pecans all over the place. I have customers in Missouri. Uh, I mean, I mean, everywhere. Uh, schools, you know, they do fundraisers with my nuts. Wow. Uh, attorneys send their clients my gift packs in the winter. You know, it's Christmas. Yes, sir. I have different law firms that send every one of their clients a gift box from me. Mm-hmm. A company called International Paper in Tampa, they buy hundreds of cases of chocolate covered pecans for me every year to send to all of their salesmen, take them to all of their customers, people who grow pepper and cucumbers and wow. peaches, and strawberries and stuff. You know, they sell them the cartons for that stuff. Yeah. But anyway, we're intermeshed with a lot of people, but we're very still very small. I mean, I don't do tens of millions of dollars of business, uh, but I, I have done a few million in the nice. past, but nice. we're smaller now. We, like about five of us run the company nice, okay. and we basically are happy with the customers we have. We, we gain a few new customers each year, yeah. but you know, when I was on the internet by myself out of monopoly, there are over a hundred pecan companies on the internet now. Wow. Well, I got, a, I got a question. Well, I mean, are, are you still going out there harvesting yourself? You running that tree shaker? I, I actually don't do it anymore. Right. <laughs> I, I'm a, uh, I'm a senior guy now. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but I but I do I do go out there and kind of oversee it. Yes, sir. Well, how do how do you go about harvesting? I mean, you got tree shakers. Yeah, we we have all mechanized equipment. Uh, tree shaker shakes them down. The sweeper sweeps them up. You have a blower behind the machinery that blows the nuts out of the windrow. In other words, you can't harvest where the trees are. Right. So in between the trees, that big blower blows them <clears throat> over where they can be wind road on the opposite side, coming back down there. Wow. <clears throat> All mechanization. It's an amazing process. A cute little story. When you're shaking trees, you never know what's up the tree other than nuts. Right. I have shaken, I have shaken birds out of trees. I've shaken squirrels. I've shaken possums, fox. Wow. You know, it's amazing what hits the ground when you start shaking that tree. That's crazy. But those are just human interest stories. <laughs> Actually, funny thing is, is on my stepdad's side, his dad invented the chicken plucking fingers that was done for, for to remove all the feathers in the chicken factories back in the day. <laughs> but the pecan farmers actually used the fingers for harvesting pecans as well and they and my grandmother was selling those to those fingers to pecan farmers up until about probably 15 20 years ago Mm -hmm. so yeah i have a quick question is it would you say pecan or Uh, pecan we um i tell i'll tell people all the time we're gonna have people coming from canada from up north from everywhere i tell them you say it any way you want to pecan pecan 
And a lot of people say, well, I thought a pecan was the thing that you put under your bed. (laughs) I said, well, that is a form of a pecan as well, but, but we, I call them pecans sometimes and I call them pecans. It just depends on the situation. And then the other thing is we, we've been just talking about pecans here, but what do you guys actually sell beyond pecans? Because you were talking about chocolate-covered pecans. Like, what else do you guys sell? We, uh, you know, the, the, the pecans themselves come in three forms. I send them, I ship them in shell. I ship them cracked, which is, you know, the shell's been cracked, but they haven't been pulled out yet. Right. And then we send the finished product, you know, the halves, pieces, and meal. Mm-hmm. Besides that, we sell uh, 30 different flavors of pecans. Ooh, okay. We sell pecan log rolls. Ooh. We sell pecan pies. Oh, you we do? We sell fruit cake. Yeah. Oh, we sell uh, praline patties, you know, like we're originated in New Orleans. We, we got a praline patty that'll make you slap your grandma. <laughs> That's amazing. And I know that sounds very No, 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 no. I understand. Hey, listen. It's just an expression. I I absolutely. Uh, hey, I, uh, you know. Uh, that's something my that's something my grandfather would say too. So I completely understand where you're coming from. We we sell about sixty different products right now. That's amazing. And and what is what website can the can people go to 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 buy these these products from you? Oh, uh, they can go to several different ones. The main one is SheffieldPecans.com. Okay. And just for information, they can go to PaperShellPecans.com. And, of course, I got into Technics back a long time ago when I was getting my domain names. I even have the – I even own the domain name Pecan1.com. Remember, wow. everything used to be something Oh, yeah, absolutely. Pecan1.com. <laughs> so I, but the easiest way is just go to SheffieldPecans.com. And, and, and how do you think – how are y'all's uh, pecan pies? Because I, I love some pecan we, pie. We, uh, the, feature, the feature picture on my site – is a big, beautiful pie. We put a pound of nuts in it. Ooh. And if you ever buy one of my pies, you'll throw rocks at all the other places. <laughs> you I love it. I love it. So I got uh, just one other question before I get to the last question. So if someone were to buy the already cracked or shelled pecans, what, what's typical shelf life on, on the pecans when you receive them? It's, it's, how, you, it's how you handle them. We, we tell people in a conventional refrigerator, right. pecans stay fresh for about a year or better. Right. And something that a lot of people don't know is that in frozen, there's no known shelf life. Ooh, okay. Let me, let, me give you, let me give you a typical example. For 12 years, I did a conventional, typical freeze, freezer above refrigerator. Uh-huh. I put pecans in there. And I took them out each year, and I cracked a couple of them. I looked at the coloration and I tasted them. There was no noticeable change. I did that for 12 years and I'd have done it for 20 years. It would have been the same. And I got to tell you, do I have a minute to give you a story? Absolutely. I was, I was at a market in central Florida and a lady came up to me and she bought a couple hundred dollars worth of shell pecans. And she said, sir, can I freeze these pecans? And I said, Oh my God, ma'am. I've educated millions of people in the last 50 years. I said, that's what you want to do. You take these pecans home, put them in the freezer, and just take out one pound at a time or whatever you need to use, and they'll last forever. And a lady right behind her said, he's telling you the truth. She said, I do the same thing. She said, I want to tell you a true story. She said, my mom lived up in Michigan, and she passed away about four years ago, and my sister and I went up there to, you know, to settle the estate and clean the place out. And we said, the last thing we got to was the freezer. And my mom was very meticulous. She labeled everything. She said, we're cleaning out this freezer. We get down to the bottom of it. And here's these pecans dated 1979, Sheffield pecans. She said, we looked at them and they looked good. She said, we tasted them and they taste good. She said, we made some pies and they were the best pies we ever made. <laughs> so, if you keep pecans frozen, and only take out what you need. Yep. There is no known. There's no known shelf life. That's amazing. That is amazing. A refrigerator about a year. Right. Okay. Okay. I got because you. Because like with a lot of foods, 
you know, the atmosphere, heat, you know, yep. room temperature is their greatest enemy. Yep. If you want to keep fruit fresh, if you want fruit to last like oranges and anything, put it in the refrigerator in the in the hydrator. It'll last ten times longer than it will out there on the counter. Right. A lot of people don't know that, but a lot of housewives do. Right. No, I got you. Uh, Well, thank you very much for that knowledge. So I got one last question for you here. What advice, if you have some, would you give a young person who is considering entering farming and agribusiness based on your 50 years of experience? Oh, carefully get your information. You know, you get the right information. And like I said, you can plant the wrong stuff and you don't have the marketing success. Right. You know, do research, research what you're doing. Don't get in a hurry. Oh, I'll tell you a funny joke that that relates to this. My dad didn't want me to go into agriculture after I got out of college. Right. He said, son, he said, go to Las Vegas. He said, take all your money, go to Las Vegas. He said, your money will go a lot faster, but you'll have fun. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be very no, true. That's just, that's just a funny. I mean, no, no, absolutely. Story, I mean, but it wasn't being serious. No, with any investment, with anything, in pecans, it was a long term investment. Like I said, you got to spend money for several years before you start to get a return. Right. Yep. But I mean, other things are the same way. You plant pine trees, you can't get any income for 20 years. Right. Exactly. No. You know, you start thinning them at 20 years. Yep. So it isn't it. But, um, and the world, the knowledge of the health benefits of pecans has increased so much in, over the last 10 years that the demand for pecans worldwide has gone crazy. It's just nuts. Literally nuts. <laughs> right. Well, we really appreciate your time. Now, now I'm going to have to go on and, uh, to Sheffield uh, pecans and uh, I want you to order one of my pies. Yes, sir. And then I want you to get on the air with somebody else and tell them how good it was. Oh, I will. Uh, you you can guarantee you can bet on that. I, I want to try that. them. If you don't, if you, clusters. The three of the three of you guys that were on this program today, if you will email me your mailing address, yes, sir. I'll mail you something that'll be a little surprise. All right, all right. I appreciate and that. And I, I certainly enjoyed the interview. I know that I'm probably not polished or sophisticated but you know you were perfect no actually you, you i i, I, I love people, this interview i tell people i'm just an old country gentleman you know and i got a lot of experience i got a lot of knowledge yes sir but i, but I still talk kind of slow you know what i mean <laughs> the drawl i got you the draw. hey but we hey this has been amazing and we really really appreciate your time y'all and, be sure to send me your address because you'll get something you'll enjoy all right sir thank you very much and, and thank uh you again for the for the experience it was, it was really fun thank you that's it for this week i'd like to thank our guests josh bringle and ken sheffield our co-host maria cabre our producer rocco riggio and our editor brian o'connell thanks for starting your weekend with us you can catch us each friday at 6 p.m eastern time on business radio 132 or anytime on the sirius xm app or wherever you listen to podcasts please rate the show and leave a review remember people the thirst is real